Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Darren. I am the new executive pastor here. It is a uh, privilege to be with you guys this morning. Uh, pastor Greg, I think, is, is with his family, so uh, we could be praying for him. This morning is the beginning of Advent, the first four weeks leading up into Christmas, or the first four Sundays. And I want to ask you a question. What, uh, when you think of Christmas, what words come to mind? Just think about that. What words come to mind when you think about Christmas? Some might say Jesus, baby, manger, nativity, gifts, family, shopping, mall, parking, schedule, stress, anxiety. Okay, I don't want to think about Christmas anymore. Okay, it can, be, it can evoke a lot of different thoughts and emotions when we think about Christmas. It can evoke a lot of different attitudes when we go into the holiday season and the Christmas season. Some are warm and pleasant, and others can be downright stressful. Have you ever wondered, what was Jesus thinking the day before Christmas? Or really the day before the incarnation when he came off his throne and and became a man, what was he thinking? What was he feeling going into Christmas? The short answer is the Bible doesn't say. So you know what that means? When the Bible doesn't say, we're free to speculate. So we're, we're not going to speculate too much because uh, the Bible does talk about this a little bit. It talks about the attitude of Christmas. In this Advent series, you're going to hear about a, a few different topics. You're going to hear about... Um, the clarity of Christmas, you're going to hear about the meaning of Christmas, you're going to hear about the courage of Christmas. This morning, we're going to talk about the attitude of Christmas. What should our attitudes be going into the Christmas season? More importantly, what was Jesus' attitude going into Christmas? What was his attitude? What was his mindset? Can you imagine? I don't think we have to imagine. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, and I'll meet you there in just a minute. Philippians 2. The dominant theme of Philippians, uh, anytime you open your Bible, you just don't want to tear it open and start reading right in the middle of it. You kind of want to get a context for where you're at. So the book of Philippians is a letter written to the Philippian church by the Apostle Paul. And the main theme of Philippians is joy and humility. And uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word for joy or a related term 16 times in the letter. He describes a joy that can be experienced in any circumstance and even begins his letter talking about the joy he has even though he's in prison writing the letter. And Paul continues to exhort the believers there in Philippi to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And he goes on to describe what that looks like. And he talks, about, um, he talks about unity, he talks about walking worthy, and then he boils it down to one attitude, humility. He boils it down to humility, and Paul gives them a command, and he says if, um, if you want to be united, if you want to walk worthy, then you need to be humble. And he gives them this exhortation in verse 5. So join me there, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, your attitude should be 
the same as that of Christ Jesus. Should be the same as Jesus. And keep in mind now, he's going to talk about what was Jesus' attitude going into the Christmas season. And uh, in the next few verses, Paul explains what great humility it took for Jesus to become a baby in that manger. Paul's purpose in this passage, again, was to exhort the Philippians to be humble, following Christ's example for humility. But to do so, Paul must first explain the glory that Jesus had before becoming a man. You can't understand the humility of Jesus if you don't understand the glory that actually belongs to him. So he says, have this attitude that's in Jesus, and then he describes the attitude, but first he describes the glory, because you have to understand that first. In order to uh, present an example of humility demonstrated by Jesus, Paul uh, starts looking at the nature of his position before the incarnation. The incarnation, again, is when Jesus became a man. Paul says in verse 6 about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You see that phrase there, being in very nature God? That's a really important phrase. Go ahead and circle that in your neighbor's Bible. That phrase here is very simple. Jesus is God. He is of one essence with God the Father. He is the second person of the Trinity, equal in every way. The one who spoke all things into existence, that was Jesus, Colossians 1.16. The one who holds all things together, that's Jesus, Colossians 1.17. The one who existed from the very beginning, that's Jesus, John 1.1. 1, 1. He is the very nature of God, all the splendor, all the power, all the glory that we associate with God belongs to Jesus in its fullness. As it does the Father, as it does the Holy Spirit, they are equal in nature. And Paul says he did not consider this equality with God something to be grasped. This is kind of a confusing phrase, but the idea here is that Jesus didn't consider his power or position something that he needed to cling to or exploit. Let me give you an example. When you're in a position of authority, it uh, becomes easy to become attached to that authority. Consider somebody in the military who has a high position and gets demoted. Or consider um, being a manager for many years and then getting demoted down to an associate. It, it's really, really hard. Or maybe some of you have been in this position where um, you, have, you have a role at a company and it's a pretty good role and it's a high paying position and you've got some authority and then you lose your job and the only job you can find is well below your skills or your experience, and you have to humble yourself in order to take that job. It's very difficult to do, and most people won't do that by choice. We're not going to give up our position. We're not going to give up our authority willingly. We cling to it, not Jesus. 
not Jesus. Though he was the very nature of God, he didn't cling to his position. He was willing to give it up because the mission was more important than the position. Let me say that again. The mission was more important than the position, and Jesus was willing to give it all up for our sake. Humanity had a need, and only Jesus could fill it, and he had to give up his position temporarily to do so. Paul makes the point because, first, you can't understand the humility of Jesus without first understanding the glory that he had. You have to tie the practice with the position, and here's what I mean. It's not humble for a busboy to wash dishes. His practice and his position are the same. That's his job. That's what he's hired to do. A janitor, it's not humble for a janitor to clean the floors. That's what he's paid to do. That's his job. It would be humble for the CEO of a multi-billion dollar corporation to mop the floors. That's below his position. It's below his pay grade. In a kingdom, it's not humble for, I guess, what they call the peasants to eat together, to socialize together, to work together. That's not humble. That's kind of just the role they're in. But it would be humble for the king to get off his throne and socialize and eat and work with them. The position was much lower than that. And Jesus had this nobility, this glory that he was willing to give up for the sake of us. He was willing to give up his position and power he has as God, not just the CEO. So consider just a few attributes of God. Just want you to think about who Jesus is, what his nature is. Consider a few attributes of God. God is infinite in relation to time and space, knowledge and power. We usually refer to these things as being eternal, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. God's not like us. God is a being that has no beginning, will have no end, he exists outside of time, outside of space. He's a spiritual being, not bounded by the dimensions of space, length, width, depth, height. There is nothing that God does not already know about everything. He knows your mind. He knows your attitude better than you do. He exists outside of our understanding of physics and his power is inexhaustible. He created the universe and everything in it, and he sustains it and loses none of his power in doing so. Have you ever heard of the uh, Hubble telescope? I think we've all heard of this. Let me take a drink of water here. This kind of blew my mind. Now, you can't really see it on the screen too well. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, when I saw this, I was blown away. Hubble took recently uh, the most detailed picture of space that we have to date. And uh, the resolution on the screen isn't quite what I want it to be. But here's a picture of space, and I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's a lot of stars, and those are really cool. And I was kind of starting to get, you know, in, in awe of that. And then I saw a caption at the bottom of it. It said, zoom in. And I wish I could do it here. Um, 
But as you start to zoom in, those stars become galaxies. And uh, I encourage you to look up this picture and zoom in uh, in a much higher definition. As you look at the stars that Hubble telescope took, they're not stars. Every dot is a galaxy. And I begin to look at this, and I thought, man, look at the power of the one who created that. You go in, and you can really move around this image a lot. Um, I wish I could do it in an interactive way and show you the full picture of it. But as you look at these things and you realize these are not just little dots in the sky, each of those little dots is an entire galaxy with billions of stars, and this picture is just like an inch into space. And you've got all of space to look at, and that is the power that God has. That's the power that Jesus has. Each of those dots is a galaxy, billions of them. He created them all. Jesus created them all. He sustains them all and drains none of his power. That is absolutely incredible to me. This is not a CEO washing the floors. This is the creator and sustainer of the universe getting off his throne giving up his position, setting it aside to confine himself to a baby boy and suffer on our behalf. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He came off his throne. He said, I will set aside my position. I will take on flesh. I will become a baby and a servant and be put to death. He was outside of time and space, but confined himself to a human body. He was on the throne, but went to a manger. He, he went from lofty to lowly. He went from honored to humiliated, exalted to executed, glorified to crucified. And he did it all willingly. Because the mission was more important than the position. Humanity was dying in sin. And we needed a savior. And he gave it all up for us. I think of the times when... Um, Somebody asked me to do something for them, and I didn't do it because it was a minor inconvenience for me. I can think of a few other times when I didn't do something because I felt like it was below me, it was below my position to do it. And as I read this passage, I realize how wrong I was.
in those moments. How wrong I was. The act of Christmas was Jesus giving it all up to meet humanity's biggest need. That's the attitude of Christmas. Humility. Emptying yourself to meet somebody else's needs, no matter the cost. That's the attitude of Christmas. From the moment of birth, people urge others to meet their needs. The infant cries until mom comes to feed her or change her. The toddler misbehaves until dad stops playing with little sister to give full attention to him. At older ages, siblings often demand privileges in at least equal proportion to or preferably greater than their brothers and sisters. Adults often seek the highest paying jobs, the most comfortable homes, the most extravagant vacations possible, and are willing to go to considerable trouble to get those things. What begins as survival instinct quickly turns into an expression of our fallen human nature in an endless pursuit of more, more power, more money, more influence, more fill-in-the-blank. The incarnation of Jesus represents the antithesis of that human drive for pursuit to dominate. Uh, it's the opposite of that. And although he had access to all the privilege, all the power, all the glory that was due to him as the identity and nature of God, that that entitles him, his position as God, though he had that, and though he could have exploited that privilege uh, and exalted himself over everyone and dominated them for his own purpose, Jesus considered his deity an opportunity to serve and to be obedient. Christmas isn't about gift-giving. It's about self-giving. It's about emptying yourself of your own power and status, your own desires, and meeting the needs of others. This is what Jesus did at Christmas. He emptied himself of everything so that he could meet the greatest need of humanity at great cost to himself. What was Jesus' attitude at Christmas? It was an attitude of humility and serving, self-sacrifice, an attitude of what can I do to help them no matter what it cost me. It was the most selfless act we can't even imagine. That's Christmas. Think of some of the relational circles that you're in. Your friends, just think about, as I name these categories, get some faces uh, to these categories. Your friends, your family, your coworkers. Is there something that they need that you can do, even if it's at great cost to yourself? What need can you meet that they need? Maybe, um, maybe it's a physical need. 
Maybe you know somebody with a physical need. They need something tangible, and you can afford it, but in order to get that for them, you can't buy the thing you want. Maybe it's a relational need. Maybe they're lonely, but they get on your nerves. But you can spend some time with them. Maybe it's an emotional need. Maybe they're hurting or distant. And you can, and you can visit them, but you have to give up your time to do it. How can you serve your coworkers? your friends, your family. Parents, how could you serve your kids or your spouse? Kids, how can you serve your parents or, God forbid, your siblings? Giving gifts at Christmas is great, but that's the easiest thing we can do. After preparing this sermon, I'm forced to think, what can I do to serve somebody else this season? Even if I have to sacrifice something, I cherish to do it. Jesus gave it all to meet our needs. And it was that great sacrifice, that great act of humility, that led to the salvation of the world. By Jesus emptying himself, he accomplished the greatest feat in history. God became a baby in that little town of Bethlehem, took on flesh, lived as a servant, died as a criminal, defeated sin, reconciled man and God together, was raised from the dead in all splendor and glory, and because of his selfless Christmas act, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Christmas. That's what we celebrate, the humanity and humility of Jesus and the beautiful, wonderful name of Jesus.